Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. I don't know about you, but um, 2020 was definitely a year full of surprises, wasn't it? And uh, I don't know if you're like me, but I don't like surprises. I, I really don't. I'm that firstborn, type A, planning personality. I like to know exactly what's coming. And so I think back to where we were this time last year. And in January of 2020, I mean, we were so excited entering into this new decade Entering into this new plan, into this new season, into this, this new year, and, and we had no idea what was about to hit us. And it was interesting, in this season last year, Kelly and I were really very deeply in a season of prayer. There was an opportunity that was presented to us last fall that we never saw coming. Would have been two falls ago now. It would have been October, November time frame of 2019. And we were in Charlotte and living in Fort Mill and doing life. And the kids are getting big and huge. And never did I think that I would have the opportunity to raise a six-footer. But now you, I walk out in the morning and Carter looks down upon me. And he pulls out that, you know, man's voice that is starting to still voice crack. And I pick at him every time. That 16-year-old has a voice crack because I know that he could whoop me if he wanted to. Like, this is the dude that wakes up in the morning, and he's just excited to go work out. And I'm like, you know what, Carter? That's great accountability in our relationship, because as you want to work out, I'm recognizing that you're getting stronger, that you're getting a little bit quicker, that you're getting a whole lot taller. So I better start working out, because I got a little, a little stronger, and I got to get a little bit quicker, and I got a little bit faster than you, because guess what? I can still take you out, Carter. I still can. And if you're watching right now, I'm telling you, I can still take you out. It may be a ground and pound, Carter. I know that you've got the reach on me right now, but the reality is this, that as those kids were getting older and Kelly and I were in a season of prayer, we had presented an opportunity to transition out of a ministry that we dearly love. Twelve years at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, working alongside incredible men, women, brothers and sisters, and the Graham family, Having relocated from Pennsylvania to Charlotte in 2010 and then back to Catanning in 2013-14 time frame and being a part of this church community for two years and some of the sweetest relationships and friendships are right inside this room this morning. I remember the first time I heard the song Oceans. And it was the same voice that led it this morning. And every time that song comes on, I can hear Sarah Lee singing it. And so I was just prayerful that she would stop crying because I was going to start crying. I'm thankful for those tears. And I'm thankful that whenever all of a sudden you turn around and you see eye to eye, a mask cannot hide your eyes. Now, for some of us that have ugly faces and beautiful eyes, we like the masks. And, and we do ask ourselves, like, is my coffee breath really that bad? Anybody have had experience in the last couple of months where, you know, you put the mask on and you're like, whoa. Now I know why they handed me gum and mints whenever I walked in. 
But the, the mask can't hide the eyes. The mask can't hide the tears. The mask can't hide the season in which we're going through right now. And so as Kelly and I prayed last January that we knew that, the God, that God was asking us to, to transition not out of BGEA, but into a new season of ministry with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, never could have I imagined that I would be standing in this place at this time after the year we just put in. Because it's a fantastic idea to transition leadership, to transition ministry right before a global pandemic. Right smack in the middle of February, we're all fired up, we're ready to go. We're leaning into what we know that God has called us to and all of a sudden we hear about the China virus. And we see people in China and in third world countries wearing masks and we're like, dude, they're so weird. Like, what in the world is going on? Why would, we, why would somebody ever do that? And yet here we are. Little did we know that three weeks later that we would be quarantined. Now, if you remember the, this journey of the Barrett family and these four beautiful children, they knew daddy only to be a traveling daddy. My last couple of years with the Billy Graham ministry, I was crisscrossing the country, had the opportunity to go to Montana and see God do an incredible work, had an opportunity to go down to, to Texas and to Florida, had the opportunity to go to Tennessee, and we live in South Carolina, and the weather is good, and I took a picture beside the snow pile, and I made sure that I framed it correctly so everybody thought I was in the snow, if you know what I'm saying. They didn't see the green grass in the dry parking lot. All they saw was a 10-foot snow pile in front of Eaton Park this morning. Because guess what you can't do at Eaton Park? You can't hide the smiles at Eaton Park, right? I think their, their little restroom sign was so cute this morning. I walked in and it said, kindly please cover your smile. And I'm like, oh yeah, well done, Eaton Park. You're great marketing, you. Had the opportunity just over a year ago to fly to Hawaii and see what God was doing in the smallest of the island, the main islands in Kauai. Had the opportunity to speak and preach in Kauai with 120 pastors in the room. And everybody says that Hawaii's paradise. That is an absolute lie. Hawaii is a broken place full of homelessness and addiction, depression and isolation. And it's not paradise whenever you don't take your wife with you. Men, that's the greatest piece of advice I could give you. Don't you ever fly to Hawaii without your bride and be sure you don't do it two times. Because the second time I flew over there for the week, she looked at me and she said, don't you dare send me a picture. <laughs> and so here we are, this time last year, gearing up, preparing for what we couldn't even begin to believe God was going to do. And we step into what we were told was going to be a sweet spot. Developing the next generation of leaders. Discipleship ministry. Doing relationship and community. Going deep. Rather than traveling thousands of miles and developing relationships an inch deep, I'd have an opportunity to travel in 25 miles and go 100 miles deep. The very thing that God had been desiring and building that desire in my heart over the years And then the unthinkable happened. Stay in your house for a couple weeks. 
after traveling for all those years and transitioning and then coming off the road, I think that Kel probably wanted Doug to travel again, if you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, it's a new season for our marriage, a new season for our family, a new season for our relationships, and we're getting to know each other a little bit more. And I'll tell you, one of the highlights of Christmas just a couple of weeks ago for us was Christmas evening. We were kind of sitting on the couch, and we were having this incredible conversation, and we finally have a couch that fits the family of six. And we were sitting on the couch, and I had Jordan underneath my arm, who's now 13 years old. She's still four foot ten. Don't worry. She hasn't grown up much. She's still as gorgeous as ever. But little Jordan's underneath my arms, and I look at her, and I'm like, babe, what did you think about Christmas? And she looks at me and she goes, Daddy, it was just like every other day. It was just the six of us. We had the opportunity to have dinner together and play games together. And Dad, it's just like every other day. And I started to cry. Because a year ago, she never would have said that. A year ago, she would have said, Dad, it was nice to have you home for a couple of days. And I would have been gearing up for my next trip. I don't know what 2020 has given to you. But can I tell you right now that COVID is not happening to us? A global pandemic is not happening to us. A quarantine is not happening to us. It's happening for us. Because it has unveiled, it has revealed, it has clarified a lot of those idols that Sarah Lee just spoke about in my life. It has shaken and turned upside down everything that we thought was secure and stable. And I want you to know right now that it was really weird driving through western Pennsylvania. Coming up 79 and all of a sudden seeing these rebel confederate flags. And I thought to myself, did somehow my truck turn around? I thought I was traveling north. Like why are there confederate rebel flags in western Pennsylvania? That's only a thing of the south. And quite honestly, it's a thing of offense. To many in the South, we have no idea the flag that we're flying. And we make this big scene about where are we going to stand or are we going to kneel? For which flag? Are we still going to fly our Trump flags? And I'm not here to talk about politics and I'm not going to. The young adults in the room that I've been spending the last two days with, they know exactly where I'm going. Because I want to plant a flag this morning. And I'm being very, very clear. This flag that I want to plant this morning is a flag of total victory. It is not a here we go, terrible towel waving. I forgot that it was a Steelers Sunday. Like, we don't have Steelers Sundays in the South anymore. I'm just being real with you. Now, I will tell you this, that when you go to a Carolina Panthers game, and if they're playing the Steelers, it's an away game in Charlotte for Carolina. Like, I'm serious. Like, it's true. We travel really, really well. And it's amazing. You go into the stadium and they're playing against the Steelers. There's more black and gold than there is ever that teal, weird blue and black that the Carolina Panthers wear. Quite honestly, what makes me so mad is that they force us to watch these Panthers participate in a what appears to be a football game while my Steelers are blacked out and I can't get them. Man, is it frustrating. And no, I do not cheat and steal broadband from somebody else so that I can get their game pass. But it's amazing to me that 
I forgot it was a Steelers Sunday, and so I saw Jack Lambert. At least that's what the back of the jersey said, walking into the gas station this morning. And I'm like, oh yeah, we play those Browns, those, 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 those people that need saved, right, in Cleveland. <laughs> One of my assistant coaches on the baseball team, Frank, he's a great guy from Cleveland, Ohio. He loves his brown. He painted his garage. Why would somebody ever paint their garage orange and brown? And so you better believe that there are Steeler paraphernalia that is showing up in his house today. It's good to be home. So let's plant a flag. It's good to be home. And I can't believe that I'm actually going to finish what I set out to start. So Friday night up at Whitehall, the young adults and I had the opportunity to, to begin a story, to begin a letter And it's a letter that actually is written to the church, not just one church, but to churches, seven churches. And in this letter to seven churches, what it would have been, it would have been an oral reading of a letter, one letter, not seven letters, one letter. It wasn't seven letters that were sent to seven different cities. It wasn't one letter that was sent to this church over here via UPS or this church over here via FedEx. This was one letter that seven churches would have gathered in one place to hear John read this letter aloud. And maybe you're starting to pick up a little bit on where we may be going. But yes, I'm actually going to lead us through the seventh letter in the third chapter of the Revelation. Wait, Doug, are you kidding me? Like, you're supposed to be a guest speaker. I understand that I'm probably like the third guest speaker in a row. By the way, Brandon's doing well. I'm just going to let you guys know that. He looks great. I still think that he should shave his head like BJ and I. I mean, I'm just being straight up honest with you, right? Stop fighting the fight, Brandon. I know you're watching right now, dude. This is so clean and smooth, baby. Just go for it. It's amazing how much money I've saved in 2020 by shaving my head. Dale, if I only would have known this so many years ago, I mean, there's the shout out to my short brother. I love him to death. And the reason why I love him is we look eyeball to eyeball because I'm so sick and tired of looking up to dudes. And it's amazing to me that, you know, as we began this journey in the Revelation, the seventh letter, some people were like, Doug, seriously, you're a guest speaker. Just pick a psalm and just like preach through a psalm. Heck no, man. Let's dig in. Let's go for it, right? Let's finish. Let's plant a flag today here in North Maine. Now, listen, I understand that there are many people that are checking us out right now on YouTube and we're checking us on Facebook and who knows where else they may be gathering. But here's the thing I need to remember. The 125 or the 150 people that are in this room this morning, don't you ever, ever think that this is a small gathering. There are churches all across this country that would love to have the first three pews of this church this morning and have these 20 people that are sitting right down here. Can you imagine the amount of people that have connected to churches via Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or whatever capabilities? See, you didn't know what Zoom was last January, but now all of a sudden you wish you would have taken out stock. <laughs> it's crazy to think about where our culture has shifted. That's why the young adults are so far in advance right now, because they've been living on TikTok and Snapchat and everything else. Because if you think they're on Instagram and Facebook, you are sadly mistaken. That was five years ago. And so we have an opportunity to do what even Jesus didn't have the opportunity to do. It would have been a gathering about this size that was there that morning or that afternoon or that evening Whenever Jesus was crucified on the cross, it wasn't a mega church on Golgotha. 
It wasn't a church of 25,000 people. There wasn't a young adult's ministry of 45. There was 11. There was 11. And there was 120 that truly believed that he is the son of God, that, that maybe, just maybe, he's gonna come down off that cross because we believe that he's the Messiah. That he is the, the one that was sent from God to pursue us. It is not the other way around. We are not pursuing God. We're not. He pursued us first. We are just reflecting his pursuit. Amen. It's amazing. Somebody said to me, Doug, you need to take the initiative. What are you talking about? Well, you remember whenever Peter walked on water? What? Yeah, Peter took the initiative. He got out of the boat. Are you kidding me? Peter was just reflecting what he saw his Messiah doing. Jesus was walking across the water to him. Peter saw Jesus walking to him. And Jesus said, come on. And Peter's like, are you kidding me? He's like, come on, dude, let's roll. And Peter steps out of that boat and he's like, O-M-G. Could you imagine all the, the brothers in the boat are like, Peter, what are you doing? Get yourself back in here right now, man. Don't take this initiative. Like, you can't swim, dude. Just want to make it very clear that we are not pursuing God. But that God so loved us that he pursued us through his son, Jesus. The book of Revelation. Chapter 3. It's amazing that if you start reading in the book of Revelation, for some of you, as soon as I said that we were going to go to the book of Revelation, you started to think about all the symbols and scrolls and bowls and marks of the beast and all these kind of crazy things. You may have thought about the apocalypse or, you know, maybe this, you know, returning of the Lord or the end times theology. And I'm going to tell you right now, settle your anxiety. We ain't going there today. Because if you look at the letter in Revelation, the very word revelation is apocalypsis, which means the unveiling the revealing. Clarity brings revelation. Clarity is revelation. Clarity brings a sense of sight to a persecuted, to a suffering, to a broken, to a troubled people. That's where this letter was written. And if you look in chapter 1, this revelation from Jesus Christ, I need to make sure you understand, these are not my words. These aren't even John's words. These are the very whispers of Jesus to his church. And so remember, there would have been seven churches gathered there as these words would have been read. And the beautiful thing about this is, is that there's this promise in chapter 1 that the person who reads the letter is blessed. Now you know why I picked it. It also says that the person who listens to the letter is blessed. Now you know you should be happy I picked it. But then there's this second thing that says, and those who obey, those who keep, those who hold tight will be blessed. And you know what I'm seeing right now? I'm seeing a lot of people not obey, not hold tight, not keep, and turn away. And I'm not talking about outside of the world. I'm not talking about in our capital city. I'm talking about inside of the church. So let's do a... Just this morning, let's like not point fingers or think about the other guy, but let's allow the words of the whispers of Jesus through this letter to, to go ahead and penetrate my heart and your heart. Let's not think about who do I need to share this message with. 
but let this message be shared straight to you. Because I don't know about you, but I want to hear him speak. So Father, as we open your word and as we dive in, as we dig in, Father, would you speak? Father, speak. Father, we turn down the noise. Father, allow your son to whisper to our hearts in this moment. The letter begins in verse 17, where Jesus says, written in red, do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. I don't know if you have a song that kind of like amps you up, but if you have never listened to This Blood by Prestonwood Choir, y'all have an assignment this afternoon. I am alive forever and ever. I was dead. It's very clear. I died. But look, I am alive and I am holding the keys of death in the grave. Now, some of you are like, Doug, that's not exactly what it says in verse 17 and 18 of my translation. You're right, because you're not reading the New Living Translation. I'm not saying that the New Living Translation is better than the New King James or the NIV or the ESV or the ASP. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just reading the translation that I can read easiest, because sometimes it gets a little tough to actually read whenever you're standing and a microphone on your ear. As you go into chapter 2, the first letter is presented to Ephesus. And when I think of the word in the letter to Ephesus, I think of the great letter that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus, which we know as Ephesians. I find it interesting that Paul wrote seven letters, and I'll rephrase, that Jesus wrote seven letters through Paul, just like Jesus is writing seven letters through John right here. And as the church in Ephesus opens, it's amazing because he says, write this letter to the angel. Remember that an angel is there to protect and provide, to lead and to guide, to care for, just as that is the elders of the church. And it's written to the angel in the church of Ephesus. And this message starts with the one who holds seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands, reminding us that we are to be the light that we are the light of the world, that we are a city on a hill that cannot, cannot. Remember that little, this little light of mine. Don't you dare let him blow it out. And I know all the things that you do and I've seen all of your hard work and I've known your patient endurance and I know you don't tolerate evil people and you have examined the claims of those who say, and it's amazing that this letter starts not in a condemnation, not in a confrontation, but I want to share with you this morning that this letter starts as a, as a word of encouragement to the church. So please understand that I'm not coming against you right now. Some of you in the past may have thought that, man, this is the dude that likes to come in and just like, you know, blow things up a little bit and then he goes back to Charlotte. That's not true. The reality is this. I'm coming with a word of encouragement to you because it's not my words, it's Jesus' words. And he says, I see you. I know what you're doing. I know the hard work that you've done. I know the patient endurance that you've endured. I know that the suffering and the struggle and the trouble, I wasn't surprised by 2020. 
The father is still seated on his throne. His blood pressure has not risen. He is not concerned. He is not worked up. He's not. He's still calm. His nature and his character is not one of anxiety and worry and fear. That's not who our God is. If it were, that's a dead God. That's a God that's not worth worshiping. That's a God that some may try to pursue and put in place of a living God. But I'm telling you right now that the anxiety and the worry and the fear and the concern and the, oh my gosh, I don't like surprises, all of that is not the nature or the character of our Father. And so he comes with a word of encouragement to the church. And as he starts into the church, he's got this complaints. You don't love me as you once did. The church of Ephesus had abandoned its first love. Because God doesn't say, look, I love you for who you are. That is true. God loves us for who we are, not because of the things that we do, not because of the things that we endure. He cannot love you any more than he loves you right now. He loves you because you are his creation. You are his son or you are his daughter. As a daddy of four, I don't love them more because they do what I want them to do. Are you crazy? That's called conditional, sick, and twisted, and dysfunctional love. I love my children because they're my children. No matter the decisions they make. And here's what I know that my kids are going to do. They're going to make stupid choices. Because they're children. And they're my children. And I made some really bad, poor choices. Now, the greatest choice I ever made, other than accepting Christ... Is that beautiful, beautiful woman that I call my bride. Don't clap. Don't clap. Because guess what? She made some really poor choices too. And so if the best decision I ever made made poor choices, guess what? Expect poor choices. I told the young adults this weekend, everybody has the right to be stupid. Some people just exercise that right more than others. Like, I know that stupid is not a word we use in church, but I'm sorry. Facebook and YouTube, you guys will forgive me in a couple of years from now. I forgot. Ephesus, I see all these things you do. Your hard work, your patient endurance, you don't tolerate evil. You've examined the claims. You're well discovered and you're well studied in the scriptures. You've patiently, patiently suffered, but you have forgot what it's like to date her for the first time. I told the story this weekend of showing up on the first Valentine's Day with long stem roses and surprising Kelly. And I'll never forget that day because I was talking to her as I came to the door. And she dropped the phone and gave me a big hug. And we cried and we had a great weekend. And it was awesome. But those are the things I used to do whenever we were first dating. Guess what I haven't done in 18 years? And then he continues to the church of Smyrna, right in the middle of Turkey. And he says, Smyrna, hey, look. I'm the one who is the first and the last. I'm dead, but I am now alive. Mm, mm, mm. If he says it twice, you better listen once. I know the suffering than your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those of you. And he continues on. And guess what? There is absolutely no reproof for Smyrna. And then he goes on in the church of Pergamum. I love the name Pergamum. It's a capital city. It's a powerhouse. It's a, it's a place of wealth. And it's a place of strength. And it's right in the breadbasket. And he says, look, I'm coming with you as a two-edged sword. Remember that there's a sword of the Spirit called the Word of God that ought to cut every inch of us away that is not of God. Do you remember that great 
passage of scriptures in Hebrews chapter 12 that talks about that God has set a race before us, that we are to run with endurance. I was praying before and studying before the service this morning. I went into Brandon's office and and it was amazing. Pastor Brandon's got that picture of him where it looks like he's dying running his marathon. And I could think about that's kind of where we're at right now as a church, but I need to make sure that you understand that Christianity is not a sprint. It is a marathon. It is a long endurance right? And there is a race and a course that God has set before you, and he wants you to run that race. He does not want you to walk it. He doesn't want you to 5K it. He doesn't want you to couch to 5K with an app this race. He wants you to sprint. He wants you to run. He wants you to get rid of the weight, cut off that that's not of him, and he wants you to go after it. So what is holding you back? But Doug, I'm not sure of my footing. Well, then change your sneakers. But Doug, you don't understand. Oh, I do understand. I know what it's like. I don't know your shoes. I don't know your circumstances. I don't know your situation. I don't ever claim that I would. I can't stand it whenever somebody comes up and and they're like, you know what, Beth, I know exactly what you're going through. Because I was a 13-year-old girl before. Are you kidding me? Or I was a 16-year-old girl before. I was a 20-year-old girl. I've ne- I have no idea what it's like to be in the shoes of Jordan or my baby girl, Kendall, who's eight. I've never been there before. So please don't say that you know what I'm going through. Maybe it's more like I can only imagine what you're going through. Maybe it's more like, man, that remembers, uh, reminds me or I think back to a time that I was going through a valley. But he says, Pergamum, cut it away, because I know that where you live is a city of Satan. Wow. Yeah, that's in there. If you're not following along, you're missing out on some really, really cool stuff. I don't know about you, but I would imagine that there are some people in America, maybe even sitting in this room this morning, that thinks that they're in the city of Satan, or maybe the state of Satan. I don't know about you, but I think that there's a whole lot of people that think in that you know, Satan is establishing his throne inside of America right now. Can I tell you that that's not a new thing? That Jesus had a a word for the city of Satan and where the Satan's throne was to the letter of Pergamum. And he says, I know that that's where you live. And he continues on and he says, but you're my faithful witness like Antipas. That's a name that you don't ever name your son. All right, I'm just telling you that right now. But but he was a martyr and he was killed. and, and, And this faithful witness was martyred and right there in the middle of Satan's city. And he says, but I have this complaint against you because you tolerate Oh, when we had this long conversation and this time of question and answer at the Young Adults Retreat about, Doug, what really is tolerance? Tolerance is accepting something that is not of God. Tolerance is Jesus and something. It's the opposite of compassion. Compassion is not accepting something that's not of God. Compassion is being moved by the heart of God to speak truth and life and encouragement through a relationship That's the father's heart. The father doesn't tolerate sin. I'm just going to say it again. The father does not tolerate sin. He separated himself from sin. That's the reason he had to send his son Jesus. Because it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's just Jesus. It's not Jesus and something. It's not like the Nicolaitans that were written in here. It's not like the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Jews. It's not. It's just Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the answer. It's not anything that I do for Jesus, but it's everything that he's done for me. 
So church, why are we trying to add stuff onto it? Why are we trying to accept stuff into it? It's just Jesus. If you want to be compassionate and you want to be Christ-like and you want to be like the Father and demonstrate his heart in relationship, then slow down. Don't be so quick to not judge, but want. This is what breaks my heart inside the church is that relation does, relationship does not want something from you. Relationship wants something for you. The world wants you. The world and Satan wants you. No, no, no. God wants something for you. So my question to you is, are your relationships to the people around you, do they look like you want something for them or does it look like you want something from them? Because here's the deal, he continues on through this faithful witness and he goes into the church of Thyatira and quite honestly, if I don't move a little bit quicker, we ain't ever gonna get out of here. But guess what? The restaurants are closed and the game's at 8.15, so you got some time. (laughs) And he moves through Thyatira and it's amazing to me in Thyatira because he goes right back to the love, the faith, the service. Oh, we get so hung up on the things that we do and the patient endurance and all that we've endured and I can see your constant improvement. Oh, there's a great church of God word right there. Remember that phrase, convincing evidence? Yeah, if I look in the rear view of my life, is there convincing evidence that I have been in constant improvement? I pray that I'm not the same man I was whenever I walked up to that altar and Kelly walked down that aisle. But I pray that there's a constant improvement in my life to be the man, the spiritual leader that my wife and my children need me to be. Because I don't know about you, but man, when I accepted Christ at 15 years old, I didn't all of a sudden become perfect. I had that conversation with my parents this morning. And so the church of Thyatira, it's very, very simple. Be careful. There's that Jezebel spirit. Oh, yeah, you don't think that Jesus talked about sexual immorality? If you don't think that Jesus talked about sexual sin, you have to start reading the Bible. I am so tired of hearing people from the outside of the church and inside of the church saying, Jesus never said anything about sexual immorality. Jesus never said anything about sexual sin. He never said anything about homosexuality. He never said anything about fornication. He never said anything about sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. Are you kidding me? Because you ain't reading the same Bible that I'm reading. It is very, very clear that there is a spirit of sexual sin, a spirit of sexual immorality. And we better start talking about it inside of the church because if you don't think they're talking about it everywhere else, why are we silent on this? Well, because we're afraid that somebody's gonna call it hate speech. Hey, look, if you wanna hate God, that's between you and him. He'll deal with you on that. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. This is what God says. This is what Jesus whispers. Hey, look, that sexual relationship that you're in right now outside of the confines of a man and a woman marriage, that is sin. And I know it may be pleasurable and I know it may be beneficial and I know it may be powerful and I know it may be something that you crave, but I'm telling you right now, pornography is ruining your marriage. It is ruining the future marriage. The addiction to sex is ruining your marriage or your future marriage in your family. And God was so focused on it that he actually put it in the eternal word. I'm not, look, here's the deal. I gotta be real It's hard to read through this because this is not an easy message to deliver. 
I appreciate that there's a little bit of Baptist in the church and I'm getting a couple of amens, but I got to be honest with you. It's not always easy. It's actually kind of intimidating to stand here. Mm. Sardis. Y'all hate the alarm clock in the morning, BJ? Oh, yeah. Sardis. You got a reputation, Sardis, chapter 3. You have a reputation, church, of being alive, but you are dead. You better wake up. And then he goes to the Church of Philadelphia, and I love the Church of Philadelphia, not because it's in Pennsylvania, because guess what? The Church of Philadelphia ate in PA. Because I've been there. But there's only encouragement to the church in Philadelphia in the book of Revelation. But I go to Philadelphia and there ain't encouragement whenever you're wearing a Steelers or a Pirates jersey. Walk in there with the Pens jersey and you'll get hit over the head from a Flyers fan. I mean, seriously, like, it's not the church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It's the church of Philadelphia. And it's a beautiful letter. And if you read this letter to Philadelphia, there's absolutely no correction. How awesome would it be to be the, in with your brothers and sisters in other cities and other churches gathered in one room and this letter's being written and you're kind of like, oh, is it my turn? Oh, am I going to get the opportunity? Like, oh, are they going to start talking about me? Are they going to start talking about the church in Charlotte or the church in Fort Mill or the church in Distant or the church in, you know, Dayton or the church down there and, you know, Mars? The, like, are they going to really like talk about it? Are you serious? And all of a sudden it comes out and you hear all these others and, oh my goodness, I'm glad I'm not them. Like, they're confronted and they're condemning and they're correcting and, you Yo, who does this guy think he is? Like, I mean, seriously. Because you forget that it's not my message, it's not John's message, but it's the whispers of Jesus. And here's the crazy thing. There's no correction in Philadelphia, but oh my goodness, do we get to Laodicea. And so I've got about 10 minutes right now to nail and plant a flag. And I'm begging you for 10. That's all I'm begging you for. If you need to step up and you need to stretch and you need to go out, that's fine. You're not going to insult me, I promise you right now, because I know what it's like to sit in these pews. But here's the reality of this. Can we please plant a flag right now? Because here's the message of Jesus through Revelation. I am, I was, and I will forever be victorious. The revelation of Jesus written through John to the churches is that simple. Jesus is, was, and forever will be totally victorious. Bam, plant the flag. I don't care what symbol in center field or at the 50-yard line you planted in. I don't care if you TikTok dance, Juju. I really don't care. Plant that flag. Plant it. Why are we so scared? Why are we so rebellious? Why are we so concerned about wearing masks or not wearing masks? Are you kidding me that you have more faith in a virus than you do in the Jesus who is, was, and forever will be totally victorious? Here's how I know we have faith in a virus. Because you can't see it, but you think it's going to impact you. Because the people around you have been impacted by this thing that they call COVID-19. And here's the crazy thing. A couple weeks ago, remember the first day the vaccine came out? Remember that? 
Guys, I have to be honest with you. After the election season, the second, third day after the election, I couldn't watch it anymore. I literally could not watch it. Kelly was so moved to tears because of all the hype and the hysteria and the the fear and the, the hate and the negativity that was coming through Fox News. Forget about all those other ones you guys watch. But the reality of it was this, that as we watched that, we got deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into this crap pit, right? And we were moved to tears, so we turned it off. And I remember that I, I haven't really watched Fox News, and I didn't even know that the vaccine was coming out. But I just happened to turn it on that morning, and there was Fox News. And I think it was one of those, you know, kind of like early mornings. I think it's not, it's not Fox and Friends. It's before that. And so all of a sudden, it like says, you know, hope to America. The vaccine has arrived. That today as you wake up, there will be hope in America because the vaccine is here. The very next sentence, we're not really sure of the impact or the side effects of it, but hope has arrived in America. Are you kidding me? If you are putting your hope in something that you're not sure how it's going to impact your life. Y'all, we are missing the point, and we have not planted that flag of total victory. So just pause and back up for a second, Dougie. The church allowed to see you. Do me a favor, Stand. I'm going to read the word of God. Stand, please stand. If you're on Facebook or YouTube, I want you to stand. I do. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 3. Should have wore a (laughs) t-shirt. The message of church in Laodicea. Verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3. This is the word of God. This is the whisper of Jesus. A sacred moment of the reading of the letter. Write this letter to the church, to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen. Y'all, that should have gotten an amen right there. Yeah, this ain't Congress. (laughs) Strike that from the record, please. This is the letter to the angel in the church of Laodicea. This is a message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things that you do, church, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say that I am rich and I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich Also buy white garments from me, so you will not be ashamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes, salve for your eyes, so you will be able to see. I correct and I discipline everyone that I love. So be diligent. Turn from your indifference. Look, I, Jesus, stand at the door and knock. If you are hearing my voice, open. And I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends because those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. So anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. And all God's people sat down. 
It's amazing that if you go back and take time to study these letters to the seven churches, that Jesus comes in all of these characteristics and natures of God. Flaming fire eyes, feet like polished bronze, a double-edged sword, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the creator and the originator, the beginning of a new creation, the great I am. The amen. Now, let me just speak to it really quickly. Anybody who would ever say something along those lines has no idea who the amen is. I just want you to know that if man could figure it out on our own and we were the stronger vessel, God wouldn't have had to create Eve. It's not man versus woman. It's not one's more valuable than another. It's that we were to do life in unity and oneness. And there's no greater picture of oneness than in the marriage between a man and a woman. It's a beautiful thing whenever you see a biblical family. Because the biblical design is that which is best. It's also that which is beneficial. Not just to the church, but to the world that so desperately needs to know what we know. One thing I didn't say was that every one of the letters that Paul writes, the seven letters to the churches of Paul and the seven letters to the churches in Revelation, each one of them has the words grace and peace. What's the opposite of grace? Condemnation. What's the opposite of peace? Chaos. You think about our culture that we're living in right now, it's a very condemning and chaotic world, isn't it? And yet we have the answer who is the amen. He is grace and peace. He is truth and love because he disciplines everyone he loves. So I don't know about you, but one of my favorite authors to read is Paul David Tripp. And I love Paul David Tripp. And one of the things that I learned about from PDT, that's affectionately how I refer to him. I've never met him, so I hope he doesn't take offense to that. But Paul David Tripp says that you parent for relationship, not behavior modification. And that's right from the Revelation chapter 3 because in verse 21 it says, look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, 19, I correct and discipline everyone that I love. Because discipline is the same root word of disciple. So if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, you need to be under the discipline of Jesus. And if you are so against discipline and correction, then my question is, are you really a disciple? Hmm. Because I know all the things you do. You are neither hot nor cold. You know what's amazing? The last sermon I remember Brandon preaching that Kelly and I and the kids were here for was actually this very message. He talked about in Laodicea. Laodicea was a valley city. To the north was Hierapolis, which was a mountain city known for its hot springs. To the south was this beautiful city called Colossae, known for its cool, refreshing, bubbling water. And I remember Brandon talking about, remember those things that are hot bring healing. Those cold things bring refreshment. It was amazing to me that now in this world we totally understand because I will drink hot coffee every single morning. And now we've got this cold coffee that is so good every afternoon and evening. So the hot coffee brings healing to the throat. The cold coffee brings refreshment to the body. But the lukewarm coffee that's been sitting on the counter for an hour and a half, that's got some cream in it, that has settled to the bottom, and you forget that that's not your cup, but it's your wife's cup. And you don't stir it up and you don't pop it in the microwave and you grab a hold of it and you take a sip from it. What do you want to do? 
Do you know that we actually have the ability and the opportunity to make God puke? Like, I'm just going to tell you that when I heard that for the first time from our pastor, Brad Cooper at New Spring Church, it blew my mind. When I heard him preach a lesson on Laodicea, I'm sitting there and I'm like, wait a second. Did he just say that I make God puke? That I make God sick? No, no, no. He said that I have the ability. I, Doug Barrett, have the ability to make God throw up. Because I'm neither hot nor cold. Because I'm just going through the motions of the day. And I got to tell you right now, if anything 2020 has revealed in my life, there were some motions that I was just going through. I wasn't living on purpose. I wasn't living a meaningful life. I wasn't making a difference. But I was just going through the holy motions of what people like to refer to as religion. Have you heard the crazies talk about this thing, religious spirit? Have you heard that? And anybody ever heard a message on, it's not about religion, but it's about relationship? Have you guys heard that message? Like, I remember the first time I heard that message, it was about 22 years ago, just so you know. And then you've got some of the charismatic, you know, pastors out there that like to talk about this religious spirit that's working in the spiritual realm and all these kind of things. And let me tell you something, the spiritual realm is real, people. There is a battle over your soul that is being played out in a spiritual realm that is as real as the physical realm that you can see me and you can touch me and you can hear me right now. There are principalities. There is an enemy that is seeking to kill, destroy, and just absolutely devour my children and my grandchildren. You know why I had four kids? Because I wanted a lot of grandkids. <laughs> but the reality is this, church. We are accepting the dead form of that which was living. We are putting it into our life so that we become immune and we're not impacted by the very living form. I'm going to say that again. We are accepting the dead form of that which was living Injecting it into our life so that we are not impacted and become immune to the very living thing. Church, I got goosebumps. That's our culture. Because we've put our hope in a vaccine that is a dead form of that which was living and we have injected a vaccine and a vaccination into our life so that we are not impacted, but we become immune to the very living form of the gospel of Jesus. I believe this is what's happened in the church. And for some of you that are sitting there confused, you're like, what are you talking about, Doug? I'm talking about the people that may be in this room this morning that have made it all about pursuing God and doing things for God and serving God and making sure that I act the right way and my reputation is strong and I behave the right way and I do the right things and I go to church on Sunday mornings and I have to go to church on Sunday mornings and I have to go to small group and I have to and I ought to and I should. That is a religious spirit. 
that we have traded. It's a dead form of that which is living in a relationship with Jesus because it's Jesus and nothing else. And whenever we take that dead form and we trade it for the living form and we inject ourselves with it, guess what? We can't be an impact to the people around us. And so you want to know why our churches are struggling? Because we're vaccinated by religion. And we've put hope in religion. We've put hope in our parents' faith. We've put hope in our spouse's faith. We've put hope in our friend's faith. And we think that just because they carry us to the feet of Jesus, that we're going to be healed because that's what it talks about. Do you know the crazy thing about that is? Jesus went to the spiritual and not the physical in the healing of the paralytic first. Because he said, look, I want a relationship with you before I talk about what you're going to do for us or do for me. Because I want you to make sure it's clear. The book of Revelation says he loves you for who you are and he can't love you more because of what you do. But I'm telling you right now, church, what we do matters. I'm going to say it again. He loves you for who you are. Not because of what you do, but what you do matters. I remember a day whenever the, the holiness movement was alive and well. I remember the day whenever the fundamentalism of this church was alive and well. I remember the day whenever we were in the practice of prayer and meditation and scripture reading and all these kinds of things. And you know what? We said, that, oh, that's bad. We threw the baby out with the bathwater because people started to put their hope in those things. My prayer is that you're not vaccinated by religion and going to church and that you're immune to being the church. Now, there's a lot of wise gray hairs in this room. Nobody will ever know if I'm gray or not. <laughs> if I shaved my beard. And all of a sudden, the, the wise gray hairs that feel like they've been pushed to the back and marginalized are saying, amen. Amen. I remember a day whenever the church was flourishing and vibrant. I remember a day when there was a spirit that we weren't worried about. When are we going to get out of here and that it's hot in this room? I remember a day whenever we were so hungry and thirsty for the word of God, for hungry and thirsty for prayer, that we would do whatever it takes to get there. I believe that that day is coming again. And it's nothing that we can manufacture as pastors and preachers and churches. But when the Holy Spirit moves and stirs his people, I'm telling you it's coming. But don't you dare live your life in a rearview mirror. Don't you dare look in the rearview mirror and try to drive going forward. There is a windshield of opportunity in front of you. And I am begging you, church, not to be vaccinated by religion. Don't you dare trade a dead form for that which is living. Because I'm going to tell you this right now. He loves you so much that God sent his son to die for you. That there would be no one who perishes in a living relationship with Jesus. But there would be an eternal life that starts in that moment and lives forever. This year we lost both of my grandmother and my grandfather on my mom and dad's side, and it was hard. I remember sitting in the dining room table, actually it was a kitchen table, and we watched my grandmother's funeral from 500 miles away on my iPhone with my wife and my kids around me. 
I remember speaking and preaching at my grandfather's funeral back in October over in the little church in Shenandoah. And I remember saying to the family that day that grandpa's not looking back. He's not looking down upon us because he is so caught up with the beauty and the splendor of the best days that are yet to come. Church, don't you live your life in the rearview mirror. Don't you live your life hot or cold. But I'm begging you to bring healing and refreshment to the world that so desperately needs to know the grace and the peace of this Jesus. The gospel is not a message to share. It is a person who was dead and is now alive. I appreciate the opportunity that you've entrusted to me to open the scriptures this morning. I appreciate the opportunity entrusted to me to raise up the next generation of leaders, not only through a young adults camp and retreat up in Whitehall this weekend, but through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Because I don't know about you, but I'm concerned about where we're headed. And I know that what we do is important. But I'm going to tell you right now that who he is, is everything. For some of you, your affiliation and your approval and your addiction and the acceptance of the people around you have moved you to a place where you're trying to work your way back to that which was living. Can I just tell you, church, may there be a sweet spirit of repentance that falls upon you right now. If you want to see a revival break out, repent. Repent. Don't hear a churchy, judgy, negative word, but hear the whisper of the great I am, of the beginning and the end, of the amen who just loves you so much that he pursued you. He's alive. Our Jesus is alive. He is, was, and forever will be totally victorious. You know what's hard? I actually don't want to leave. I love you. Kelly loves you. We pray for you. You are a family. You are a church. We love you. Hear the whisper from our Father 
to his sons and daughters who desperately just wants to see them flourish in the greatness that he created for them. He doesn't want something from you, but he wants something for you. So Father, thank you for a sacred morning. Father, thank you for a place and a space and a season of chaos and condemnation that we have the opportunity to gather as family, as your sons and daughters. Father, I pray that in this moment of response and worship that you would search our hearts. Father, that where that place is, where we've been trying to work our way out of a mess, or Father, maybe where that rebellious spirit because of our affiliation and our approval and our desire to be accepted has moved us away from your heart and your character and your nature and your living relationship. So Father, now as these altars open, I know this is crazy, but in the midst of a chaotic and condemning season and culture in which we live, Father, we come to the altar because we know that your son and the living relationship with your son is where the grace and the peace that we so desperately desire lives. Father, in this moment, Father, would you just allow us to pray? Would you allow us to just repent, to turn, to come, to draw close to you? Father, we know that you don't want something from us, but you want something for us. And out of that relationship with your son, Jesus, Father, that we will have opportunities and blessing and anointing and a life full and abundant beyond anything that we could ever imagine or fathom. So Father, we ask now in this moment to break our heart for what breaks yours. Father, cleanse us, consecrate us. Father, we are your church and I am sorry for my sin. Draw me close, Father. Draw my brothers and sisters close. As we plant the flag of total, eternal victory in Jesus. It is finished. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.